Martha stared. You'll go by yourself, she answered. You'll have to learn to play like other children does when they haven't got sisters and brothers. Our Dickon goes off on the moor by himself and plays for hours. That's how he made friends with a pony. He's got sheep on the moor that knows him, and birds as comes and eats out of his hand. However little there is to eat, he always saves a bit of bread to coax his pets. It was really this mention of Dickon which made Mary decide to go out, though she was not aware of it. There would be birds outside, though there would not be ponies or sheep. They would be different from the birds in India, and it might amuse her to look at them. Martha found her coat and hat for her, and a pair of stout little boots, and she showed her her way downstairs. If t h e goes round that way, they'll come to the gardens, she said. Pointing to a gate in a wall of shrubbery. There's lots of flowers in summer time, but there's nothing bloomin' now. She seemed to hesitate a second before she added, One of the gardens is locked up. No one has been in it for ten years. Why? asked Mary, in spite of herself. Here was another locked door, added to the hundred in the strange house. Mr. Craven had it shut when his wife died so sudden. He won't let no one go inside. It was her garden. He locked the door and dug a hole and buried the key. There's Mrs. Medlock's bell ringing. I must run. After she was gone, Mary turned down the walk which led to the door in the shrubbery. She could not help thinking about the garden which no one had been into for ten years. She wondered what it would look like and whether there were any flowers still alive in it. When she had passed through the shrubbery gate, she found herself in great gardens, with wide lawns and winding walks with clipped borders. There were trees and flower beds and evergreens clipped into strange shapes, and a large pool with an old grey fountain in its midst. But the flower beds were bare and wintry, and the fountain was not playing. This was not the garden which was shut up. How could a garden be shut up? You could always walk into a garden. She was just thinking this when she saw that, at the end of the path she was following, there seemed to be a long wall with ivy growing over it. She was not familiar enough with England to know that she was coming upon the kitchen gardens where the vegetables and fruit were growing. She went toward the wall and found that there was a green door in the ivy and that it stood open. This was not the closed garden, evidently. And she could go into it. She went through the door and found that it was a garden with walls all round it, and that it was only one of several walled gardens which seemed to open into one another. She saw another open green door, revealing bushes and pathways between beds containing winter vegetables. Fruit trees were trained flat against the wall, and over some of the beds there were glass frames. The place was bare and ugly enough. Mary thought, as she stood and stared about her. It might be nicer in summer when things were green, but there was nothing pretty about it now. Presently, an old man with a spade over his shoulder walked through the door leading from the second garden. He looked startled when he saw Mary, and then touched his cap. He had a surly old face and did not seem at all pleased to see her. But then she was displeased with his garden and wore her. Quite contrary expression, and certainly did not seem at all pleased to see him. What is this place? she asked. 
"'One of the kitchen gardens,' he answered. "'What is that?' said Mary, pointing through the other green door. "'Another of em shortly. "'There's another on t'other side of the wall, and there's the orchard t'other side of that.' "'Can I go in them?' asked Mary. "'If the likes, but there's nowt to see.' Mary made no response. She went down the path and through the second green door. There she found more walls, and winter vegetables, and glass frames. But in the second wall there was another green door, and it was not open. Perhaps it led into the garden which no one had seen for ten years. As she was not at all a timid child, and always did what she wanted to do, Mary went to the green door and turned the handle. She hoped the door would not open, because she wanted to be sure she had found the mysterious garden. But it did open quite easily, and she walked through it, and found herself in an orchard. There were walls all round it also, and trees trained against them. And there were bare fruit-trees growing in the winter-browned grass, but there was no green door to be seen anywhere. Mary looked for it, and yet, when she had entered the upper end of the garden, she had noticed that the wall did not seem to end with the orchard, but to extend beyond it, as if it enclosed a place at the other side. She could see the tops of trees above the wall, and when she stood still she saw a bird with a bright red breast sitting on the topmost branch of one of them, and suddenly he burst into his winter song, almost as if he had caught sight of her, and was calling to her. She stopped and listened to him, and somehow his cheerful, friendly little whistle gave her a pleased feeling. Even a disagreeable little girl may be lonely, and the big closed house, and the big bare moor, and the big bare gardens had made this one feel as if there was no one left in the world but herself. If she had been an affectionate child, who had been used to being loved, she would have broken her heart. But even though she was Mistress Mary quite contrary, she was desolate, and the bright-breasted little bird brought a look into her sour little face, which was almost a smile. She listened to him until he flew away. He was not like an Indian bird, and she liked him, and wondered if she should ever see him again. Perhaps he lived in the mysterious garden, and knew all about it. Perhaps it was because she had nothing whatever to do that she thought so much of the deserted garden. She was curious about it, and wanted to see what it was like. Why had Mr. Archibald Craven buried the key? If he had liked his wife so much, why did he hate her garden? She wondered if she should ever see him, but she knew that if she did she should not like him, and he would not like her, and that she should only stand and stare at him and say nothing, though she should be wanting dreadfully to ask him why he had done such a queer thing. "'People never like me, and I never like people,' she thought. "'And I never can talk as the Crawford children could. They were always talking and laughing and making noises.' She thought of the robin, and of the way he seemed to sing his song at her, and as she remembered the tree-top he perched on, she stopped rather suddenly on the path. "'I believe that tree was in the secret garden. I feel sure it was,' she said. "'There was a wall round the place, and there was no door.' She walked back into the first kitchen-garden she had entered, and found the old man digging there. 
She went, and stood beside him, and watched him a few moments in her cold little way. He took no notice of her, and so at last she spoke to him. "'I have been in to the other gardens,' she said. "'There was nothing to prevent thee,' he answered crustily. "'I went into the orchard.' "'There was no dog at the door to bite thee,' he answered. "'There was no door there into the other garden,' said Mary. "'What garden?' he said in a rough voice, stopping his digging for a moment. "'The one on the other side of the wall,' answered Mistress Mary. "'There are trees there. I saw the tops of them. "'A bird with a red breast was sitting on one of them, and he sang.' To her surprise, the surly old weather-beaten face actually changed its expression. A slow smile spread over it, and the gardener looked quite different. It made her think that it was curious how much nicer a person looked when he smiled. She had not thought of it before. He turned about to the orchard side of his garden and began to whistle, a low, soft whistle. She could not understand how such a surly man could make such a coaxing sound. Almost the next moment a wonderful thing happened. She heard a soft little rushing flight through the air, and it was the bird with the red breast flying to them, and he actually alighted on the big clod of earth quite near to the gardener's foot. "'Here he is,' chuckled the old man, and then he spoke to the bird as if he were speaking to a child." "'Where has the been, the cheeky little beggar?' he said. "'I've not seen thee before to-day. "'Has the begun the courtin' this early in the season? "'Thou'rt too forrid.' "'The bird put his tiny head on one side "'and looked up at him with his soft, bright eye, "'which was like a black dewdrop. "'He seemed quite familiar and not the least afraid. "'He hopped about and pecked the earth briskly, "'looking for seeds and insects.' It actually gave Mary a queer feeling in her heart because he was so pretty and cheerful and seemed so like a person. He had a tiny, plump body and a delicate beak and slender, delicate legs. "'Will he always come when you call him?' she asked, almost in a whisper. "'Aye, that he will. I've knowed him ever since he was a fledgling. He come out of the nest in the other garden,' "'and when first he flew over the wall "'he was too weak to fly back for a few days, "'and we got friendly. "'When he went over the wall again, "'the rest of the brood was gone, "'and he was lonely, and he come back to me. "'What kind of a bird is he?' Mary asked. "'Doesn't thou know? "'He's a robin redbreast, "'and they're the friendliest, curiousest birds alive. "'They're almost as friendly as dogs, "'if you know how to get on with them.' "'Watch him pecking about there and looking round at us now and again. "'He knows we're talking about him.' "'It was the queerest thing in the world to see the old fellow. "'He looked at the plump little scarlet-waistcoated bird "'as if he were both proud and fond of him. "'He's a conceited one,' he chuckled. "'He likes to hear folk talk about him. "'And curious? Bless me, there never was his like for curiosity and meddlin.' "'He's always coming to see what I'm plantin'. "'He knows all the things Mester Craven never troubles hisself to find out. "'He's the head gardener, he is.' "'The robin hopped about, busily pecking the soil, "'and now and then stopped and looked at them a little. 
Mary thought his black dewdrop eyes gazed at her with great curiosity. It really seemed as if he were finding out all about her. The queer feeling in her heart increased. Where did the rest of the brood fly to? she asked. There's no knowing. The old ones turn em out of their nest and make em fly, and they're scattered before you know it. This one was a knowing one, and he knew he was lonely. Mistress Mary went a step nearer to the robin and looked at him very hard. I'm lonely, she said. She had not known before that this was one of the things which made her feel sour and cross. She seemed to find it out when the robin looked at her, and she looked at the robin. The old gardener pushed his cap back on his bald head and stared at her a minute. Art thou the little wench from India? he asked. Mary nodded. Then no wonder thou art lonely. Thou'lt be lonelier before thou's done, he said. He began to dig again, driving his spade deep into the rich black garden soil, while the robin hopped about, very busily employed. What is your name? Mary inquired. He stood up to answer her. Ben Weatherstaff, he answered, and then he added with a surly chuckle, I'm lonely myself except when he's with me. And he jerked his thumb toward the robin. He's the only friend I've got. I have no friends at all, said Mary. I never had. My ayah didn't like me, and I never played with anyone. It is a Yorkshire habit to say what you think with blunt frankness, and old Ben Weatherstaff was a Yorkshire moor man. Tha and me are a good bit alike, he said. We was wove out of the same cloth. We are neither of us good looking, and we're both of us as sour as we look. We've got the same nasty tempers, both of us, I'll warrant. This was plain speaking, and Mary Lennox had never heard the truth about herself in her life. Native servants always salaamed and submitted to you whatever you did. She had never thought much about her looks, but she wondered if she was as unattractive as Ben Weatherstaff. And she also wondered if she looked as sour as he had looked before the robin came. She actually began to wonder also if she was nasty tempered. She felt uncomfortable. Suddenly a clear, rippling little sound broke out near her, and she turned round. She was standing a few feet from a young apple tree, and the robin had flown on to one of its branches and had burst out into a scrap of a song. Ben Weatherstaff laughed outright. What did he do that for? asked Mary. He's made up his mind to make friends with thee, replied Ben. Dang me if he hasn't took a fancy to thee. To me? said Mary, and she moved toward the little tree softly and looked up. Would you make friends with me? she said to the robin, just as if she was speaking to a person. Would you? And she did not say it either in her hard little voice or in her imperious Indian voice, but in a tone so soft and eager and coaxing that Ben Weatherstaff was as surprised as she had been when she heard him whistle. Why? he cried out, thus said that as nice and human as if there was a real child instead of a sharp old woman. Thus said it almost like Dickon talks to his wild things on the moor. Do you know Dickon? Mary asked, 
turning round rather in a hurry. Everybody knows him. Dickens wandering about everywhere. The very blackberries and heather bells knows him. I warrant the foxes shows him where their cubs lies, and the skylarks don't hide their nests from him. Mary would have liked to ask some more questions. She was almost as curious about Dickon as she was about the deserted garden. But just that moment the robin, who had ended his song, gave a little shake of his wings, spread them, and flew away. He had made his visit and had other things to do. He has flown over the wall, Mary cried out, watching him. He has flown into the orchard. He has flown across the other wall into the garden where there is no door. He lives there, said old Ben. He came out of the egg there. If he's courtin', he's makin' up to some young madam of a robin that lives among the old rose trees there. Rose trees? said Mary. Are there rose trees? Ben Weatherstaff took up his spade again and began to dig. There was ten year ago, he mumbled. I should like to see them, said Mary. Where is the green door? There must be a door somewhere. Ben drove his spade deep and looked as uncompanionable as he had looked when she first saw him. There was ten year ago, but there isn't now, he said. No door, cried Mary. There must be. None as any one can find, and none as is any one's business. Don't you be a meddlesome wench and poke your nose where it's no cause to go. Here, I must go on with my work. Get you gone and play you. I've no more time. And he actually stopped digging, threw his spade over his shoulder, and walked off without even glancing at her or saying goodbye. End of chapter four. Read by Kara Schallenberg. On January 14, 2006, in Oceanside, California.